I believe that there's nothing more important than a relationship with God. Hands down. Nothing in the ballpark. I mean, I, I believe that that relationship has a huge impact on our lives. That it means everything. It has the potential, that, that relationship with God, to uh, allow us to look at our past and to live without uh, guilt or shame, uh, without the weight of all that junk that just weighs you down, drags you down. And I also believe that our relationship with God, it impacts our present in that we can face whatever problems we, we have, uh, whatever problems in marriage or complications in parenting or uncertainties vocationally, uh, economic instability. There's been a lot about that recently. And I believe the relationship with God is huge. And knowing that God loves me, God wants the best for me, and that God will help me, give me strength to face whatever it is, you know, knowing that, that God's there to help us navigate in this life, to guide us if, if we'll just listen, uh, that God's there to pick us up when we fall, to dust us off and get us started again, you know, that God's there to forgive me, and he helps me start new every morning. I believe that that relationship with God is big. I mean, it impacts how I live and how you live. And that relationship also, it uh, deals with our future in that and it enables us to face whatever it is that we're going to face tomorrow, that we're able to deal with our, our worries and our fears, that those uncertainties, the, those pressures and pains of life that as I look at my future, although my future may be out of my control, and just a little heads up this morning, it's always out of your control, but it's not out of God's control. And that relationship's huge. And it also has eternal implications in that God, if we have that relationship with God, it secures our eternity. It's huge, this relationship thing. There is nothing more important than a relationship with God. Now, last week, we talked about that there's a game going on. There's a game going on, and that faith fellowship is hitting the court and playing hard in this high-stakes game. And we talked about the fact that this game that we're involved in centers around a relationship with God. In other words... It's all about reaching people for Jesus Christ and pointing people to God. It's all about us getting in, in line and making that right. Two things, reaching people and growing people in their faith, helping people establish that personal relationship with God and growing and maturing. And that's why the church exists. That's why Faith Fellowship exists and Friends, this game, huge, huge, huge implications. And how well we play this game impacts people's lives and impacts eternity. And I think because those implications are so huge, that's why I want to focus today on bringing our A game. 
you know, continuing to be a high-impact church. And there's something, just a real quick read of the New Testament. You discover that the church is called to bring its A-game. In fact, the New Testament has a lot to say about how we do church. It has a lot to say about living louder in, in our faith. Philippians 2, 2, it says, Agree with each other, loving one another, and working together with one heart and purpose. How do we do that? I mean, how do we work together with one heart and one purpose? How do we stay focused on, on the game? Because that's, that's pretty high calling. You know, the Apostle Paul, he, uh kind of gives us a clue as to how we could live louder, how we could bring our A game. Paul wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament, and one of his letters, uh, many times referred to as a book, but one of his letters of Ephesians is a letter that was written to a church that he had planted. And he's writing to Christians, and he's telling them how to do church, how to maintain an A game and to be strong. And there's really a big difference, and I've always found this difficult, because if you were to talk to someone in the first century, and you were to say something like this, what would you do in church today? Which we've all said that to friends, maybe someone missed, and we go, you know, what would you do in church today? Someone in the first century would have said, what? I mean, it would have been kind of like saying, so what would you do in your family today? And they go, well, what do you mean? I mean, did did you attend the family? And a person in that first century did not think in those terms. They they thought about being the church, not being in church. See the difference? They would say when we all scatter from here, we're still the church. They're not so concerned about being in the church. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.1, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to lead a life worthy of the calling you have received. The word worthy there, it means to be on par or equal. And Paul says, I want your lifestyle. And I want you to notice, anytime Paul says life in in this particular letter, he's talking about lifestyle. He's talking about how believers relate to one another. He says, I want your lifestyle, I want your relationships to be equal to your calling. You know, calling, it's a great word. Uh, Unfortunately, I think as Christians, we kind of make it this weird twilight zone kind of thing. You know, it's like calling. You know, it's like strange. But the fact is, it's a really practical word. It means invitation. You know, the, the word calling is an invitation for us. And Paul's basically saying, you as a believer have received an invitation from God. And I want your relationship with each other to, to match up, to be online with, to be par with the invitation you received to have a relationship with God. In other words, everybody here, if you're, if you're a believer today, At some point in your spiritual email, you got an invitation to have a relationship with God. And that is a relationship that's characterized by a lot of things like forgiveness. 
You know, no matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've done it, you're forgiven. It's a relationship about grace. You know, in other words, you're going to get something in this relationship with God that you don't deserve. In our our next series, we're going to totally just talk about grace in, in our series, Graceland. But our relationship is based on grace. It's based on a thing called mercy. In other words, we're not going to get some of the things that we do deserve. And we're accepted in this relationship. And that's what I love about God. God just takes you the way you are, warts and all. You know, God just says, you know what, I'll meet you where you are. And it's a relationship about love and that God's not going to let you stay the way you are. And God's also not going to leave you alone. And probably one of the most dramatic things is it's a relationship about submission. Because basically God says to you and me, I consider your deal more important than mine. In fact, so much so that God said, I'm going to submit and send my son to that world and let him die for you to take care of that sin problem. Your deal is really important to God. And basically, we've been invited into that relationship. And because of that relationship, our A game is expected, Paul says. Paul's saying, as you think about the church, as you think about faith fellowship, Think as you think about your relationship with God, he says, I want you to behave amongst yourself, to treat each other in a way, not that reflects what you deserve, but reflects the relationship you've been invited to participate in with God. And he says, if you do that, you got an A game. In other words, Paul says, you're to treat each other the way God's treated you. That's a, that's a pretty high standard. You know, that's how the church is to act. And, and then just in case we didn't get it, and Paul's really good about this, he'll kind of throw something at you and he goes, okay, you might not have got that. Let's take it up a notch. He begins to give us kind of some fundamentals for uh, that are really crucial to our game, that some things that are imperative if we're going to have a game-winning strategy You know, Paul starts out and he says, be completely, what word? Humble. That's easy, isn't it? I mean, in a relationship, God says, I want you to be humble and, what's the next word? Gentle. You said that very gently. Gentle. I mean, how many guys we got today? How would, you like, how would you like to go into the office or to work tomorrow and have your boss call you in and go, you know, you're just really a gentle guy. You know, they, he says our relationship is to be characterized by humility and gentleness. I mean, how many of you would like that? You guys like that? Boss calls you in and says... You know, you're the most gentle guy here. And you're thinking, I want to I be like a superhero. You know, I don't want to be gentle. 
But Paul says, be gentle. You need to be gentle. You know, he says, the fact is that we're to be patient and strong. A relationship characterized by humility. Humility. God God demonstrated humility when he sent his son to, to die for us. In other words, we're, we're to humble ourselves, be willing to go to the mat for each other. And then Paul uses this gentle. I mean, again, it's not a guy's word, is it? I mean, absolutely not a guy's word. And I don't really want to be gentle. I want to be a superhero in my life. But Paul says, you know what? You need to be gentle. In other words, you need to be under control in, in your life. And that control is a thing called self-control. And Paul says, as you think about your relationships with each other, I want you to control your, your behavior, your emotions, your, your temper, your responses, your reactions for the sake of the relationship. See, we keep coming back to this, the relationship you have with God. He says, that's why we do it. And again, he just keeps pointing us back to this invitation. And not only did God humble himself and send his son to die on the cross for us, but God consistently exercises self-control. Now, I'm sure it's not this way for you, but for me, I have done a lot of things to just tick God off. Seriously. I mean, after everything that I know... Everything I've experienced in my, in my walk with God, everything that I, I've read in Scripture, you know, and blah, 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 for me to do some of the things I've done, you would think God would just look at me and go, you know what, throw the towel in, bud, you, you're, you're toast, you know. But God doesn't. I mean... God is a God that controls himself in the relationship because the relationship's so important. He says, be gentle, bearing with one another in love. Do you know what that assumes right there? We're all going to get on each other's nerves. Seriously. Paul says, I I know it's going to happen. We're all going to get impatient with one another from time to time. You know, you're going to pull on the parking lot and somebody's going to take forever getting out of their car at the door and holding you up and you've got things to do and places to be. And Paul says, be patient, be patient. When someone gets on your last nerve, when, when you are about to lose your temper with someone, he says, remember how patient God has been with you. Now, I've been thinking about this a lot. And to prepare us for this reality, I want you to turn to your neighbor, all right? And I want you to say, I'm going to get on your nerves. Seriously, go ahead. Now, I know, this is what I know. As you were saying that, some of you are thinking, You've already got on my nerves, you know. And Paul's point is, be patient. It will happen. It's going to happen. Take it to the bank. He says, bear with one another in love, which means to tolerate, to endure. Just as God endures your behavior, 
tolerates your bad attitudes, puts up with your inconsistencies, he says, you need to extend that to everyone else. And and the next part of the verse to me is just unbelievable because Paul explains why. Why why it's so important. Why he would ask the church to live such a high standard life. In verse 3 he says, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bonds of peace. In other words, Paul, Paul says the reason You've got to live in light of that invitation to remember your relationship with God is that we must treat each other the way God treated us. It's because this is key. This is key to a church staying focused. This is key to keeping your A game. One heart, one purpose. And Paul says it's also key to unity in the church, staying together. In other words, I've said this before, unity does not hinge on our commitment to unity, going, yeah, I believe in that. Unity does not hinge on our mission or our strategy as a church. Although those may be important, it's not going to keep us unified. This building will not keep us unified. The fact that we have all kinds of things in common will not keep us unified. The fact that we live in a general area together and have similar values does not keep us unified. Paul says unity in the church hinges on people in the church being willing to fellowship around, to celebrate, to study together the invitation to a relationship with God. And Paul says, you know what, the net result... The outcome is, if you live that way, you will guard, you will protect your unity as a church. You know, the verse literally is pointing and saying the bonds that hold us together are the bonds that we made with God and we made peace with God through Jesus Christ. And he says, when you do that, You'll be unified. When when you say, yes, God, I accept your invitation. You know, you bow a knee. You give your life to Christ. He says, that's the common denominator. That's the thread. That's the thing that binds us together. Paul says, you know what? I'm calling you to have an A game as a church. And this is tough stuff. It's tough. I mean, we are never to lose that sense of awe of that day God saved us. You know, that calling, and that calling is to live every day, to think about in every way God's forgiveness, God, how God's waited, how God accepted us, and to never lose that sense of awe. It, it bothers me. Sometimes people go, well, I've just been a Christian a long time. And it still doesn't rock you. You know, I think all the years I've walked with God, and there's still a sense of awe that God could even care about someone like me. So if you're losing your patience with one another, you know what you need a good dose of? How patient God's been with you. Because I believe if you could see your life or my life, in living color, 
The fact is, I'd never be impatient with anybody because God's been so incredibly patient with me. And I'm going to say something that's going to rattle some cages this morning. But if you have a difficult time forgiving, if you just can't forgive someone, it's not because of the hurt they inflicted. It's because you have lost sight of the depth of forgiveness that you receive from God. It's really that simple. You say, but you don't know how bad it is. It doesn't matter. Because once you lose track of how gracious God's been, it, it messes everything up. But when you have a sense of awe of how God has loved you and been patient with you, then what happens is it works its way into our relationships and to the degree that we are able to have that sense of awe, there'll be unity in the church. But when we lose the sight, things get weird. I mean, you, you begin to treat other people the way they deserve to be treated rather than the way God's treated you. And if we lose sight, if I lose sight of that invitation, I can find all kinds of reasons for not forgiving people, for not accepting people, for not being patient with people, not being kind, not showing compassion, or whatever. And what happens in churches is when they lose sight of the invitation, what they do these just odd things, like they tolerate things that offend God. And they, they get to a place where things that God doesn't really care about, all of a sudden those are the things that matter. They start making a big deal out of the little things, you know, majoring in the minors kind, kind of thing. We, we would just get all out of whack. And then we get rule-oriented. And what we do is we kind of rule people out. But the thing that really matters to God is loving and accepting and forgiving. Those things go out the window, though, if you, lo- if you lose track of what we're about. This will happen to any congregation that unifies around anything but the wow of that invitation to a relationship with God. That wow that doesn't matter what I've done, doesn't matter how many times I've done it, doesn't matter where, where I started, doesn't matter how complicated or dysfunctional I am. It's just I'm okay because of the invitation if I can keep that front and center. Friends, this is high-octane stuff. You know, several years ago, uh, I got a chance to meet the governor of Illinois. At the time, it was Jim Edgar. And I had seen him on television. I would heard him speak numerous times. And um, I was trying to play it cool, you know. It's like, okay, this isn't a big deal. But I'll tell you, the day of the meeting, all I could think about was, like, what am I going to say? And then what am I going to wear, you know, which suit, which tie? And, you know, it, seriously, that entire day, that simple invitation impacted me. And 
I was thinking about it because that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, allow the invitation to continually, daily, for the rest of your life, impact your behavior and how you live, specifically your behavior toward each other. Now, I get excited about the mission of Faith Fellowship. But again, it's not enough to keep us unified. I'm thrilled when, when I hear our small group strategy is working. Again, not enough to keep us unified. We have incredible volunteers and team leaders in this church. But it's not enough to keep us unified. We're sitting on a prime piece of property. We've got an exceptional building. Not enough to keep us unified. And God has blessed us and blessed us and blessed us. But hear me, if we let anything except the invitation to a relationship with God, if we let anything else become central, we will just be another it's all about me church. And that I truly believe and will protect against. You know, because what happens if... The invitation's not central. What happens is people who don't know God, they come through those doors and they sit down in a service like this and they start looking around and they go, I don't believe what they believe. And from the expression on their faces, I don't think they believe what they say they believe either. And I have always imagined a church that never lost sight of the invitation, that never lost that sense of awe. You know, imagine what it would be like for an unbeliever, someone that doesn't have a relationship with God, to walk into a church, you know, a person who's had a bad experience in church, you know, maybe got beat up in the last church they were, they were part of. They, they come in, they're scared to death, you know, they think the walls are going to cave in and everybody's going to stare at them and stuff like that and don't stare, okay? But can you imagine them coming in and looking around and going, you know what, it's real, it's genuine, it's authentic. That's the kind of church we're to be. That's the kind of church we are called to be. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church I could bring my friends to. How many parents we got? Isn't that the kind of church you want your kids to grow up in? Your grandkids? If we're going to be that kind of church, we cannot lose sight of that relationship with God being central. We can never let that become routine. Like, oh, I'm a Christian. You know, the fact is, it ought to awe us. If we're going to be a church, then we've got to work together to keep this from becoming an institution. We've got to work together to, to make this a gathering of people with one heart and to remember that invitation the easiest way to remember it's to think back when you first gave your life to christ you know it may have been five months ago may have been five years ago or 30 years ago whatever but to remember don't lose sight of that sense of gratitude that just kind of hits you if you don't 
you can keep it central, if you can remember that daily, what you will find is you're capable of great things. You, you will find that you're able to treat other people the way God has treated you. And you discover in the process that you always bring your A game. You know, it, it just hits you. It changes you. And when we bring our A game, what happens is we lift our behavior in relationships to a level that reflects, that's online, that's on par with God's love and God's grace and God's forgiveness. It's just that simple. Keep the invitation central. And you begin to live in a way that God intended. Now, I want to I shift gears totally, all right? So kind of do some house cleaning because uh, our, our plan all along was to open the church and uh, to kind of go underground for a few weeks so that we could, like, figure out our environment and work the kinks out and kind of get ready, you know, so that... Uh, when, when folks w- would show up here that uh, it would be a good experience. We are getting ready to ramp things up. And uh, people are always asking me, especially lately, they go, how can we help? How can we help? Well, I want to give you a few, few ways. One, we're going to have a lot of various projects happening around here. And, you know, you may get a call. Someone may catch you. If you're able, say Yes. You know, if there's a sign-up, and again, if you're able and have an interest there, then, then help. You know, be positive, be encouraging. This congregation always is. And I want to suggest that you begin to look around you and to think about that sphere of influence that God has given you, wherever it may be, and invite people to church. Now, let me identify this people that don't already go to church. We do not exist so that we can, you know, convince someone from the Baptist church or whatever church to come here to church. You know, that's their business. That's not our business. Our business is to look around at people that are not attending church, don't go to church, maybe aren't Christians. You know, give friends a call. Give those individuals a call. You know, casually ask them. You happen to run into them in the store. Pick up a few few of the cards and, uh, you know, just jot a short note. And, uh, you know, tell them, tell them you'll buy their coffee if they show up. <laughs> Cheapskates are going, yeah, I could do that. Yeah. All right, you ready? Here's something else we can do. Smile. Let's practice, all right? Just smile. Look around you, especially when you first get here in the morning. Look around for people that are standing alone. That shouldn't happen here. Look, look for people who, and I've been doing ministry so long. If someone walks through the door and they look up and then they do one of these, that's probably somebody brand new, more than likely. You know, get your radar up. And begin to watch for people. Because people is what's important. Make a point of of speaking to people. Introduce yourself. Uh, And and I know people hesitate with this one. Because there's kind of this idea. It's like, well, I think I should know them. 
Well, no, you shouldn't. You shouldn't know everybody, and it's okay. People, people understand in, in a church this size, everybody doesn't know everybody. That's, that's absolutely, uh, it's just not true. But just walk over, again, smile, you know, don't scare them, and, and go, hi, I'm Damon. Now, use your own name, please, but anyway. <laughs> you know, just walk over and go, I'm Damon. Uh, I know I should know you, what's your name? Now, see, that's a polite way of saying, I have no clue who you are. Is this your first Sunday or whatever? And if you ask somebody if it's their first Sunday and they've been coming for a year, they're going to kind of go, huh. But just walk over. And what's going to happen after you introduce is one of a couple things. They're going to go, well, we're Fred and Wilma. This is our first Sunday here. Or, you know, we're Fred and Wilma, and we've been attending for several months. Either way, you have a conversation on your hand. Remember to not overwhelm people. If you don't know them and you run up and kiss and hug them, well, some might stay. The singles will stick, but everybody else will cruise. But remember to ask questions and let people talk about themselves. And don't trap people. I see this all the time. Get them in the corner. Ah! captive audience. Be sensitive to to people. Be intuitive as you're having a conversation. Like if you see they've got children with them, even though you may go, "Hmm, I think this might be grandma, say, oh, your children are cute. Okay, play it safe. Play it safe. You know, ask ask them the names of their kids. Oh, what's your baby's name? Pebbles. How sweet. I'm influenced by cartoons. But anyway, you know. If you know about the the different zones, like the nursery zone or the kids zone, share what you know with them. If you don't know, you don't have a clue, and that's okay, then take them over to the information center to to get information, you know, to help them. You know, ask people, is there anything I could help you with? Extend yourself. Now, if you find you're, like, got a hold of someone and you're dragging them to the info desk, that's a good sign that you need to dial it down a little bit, you know. Not everybody, and we could, sure, uh, we would raise our hand. Some people love being helped, and the men just like to figure it out on their own, you know. But it, it's okay. It's okay if people, if you sense they're, you know, they're like, mm, you know, like back away, then just say, hey, if there's anything you need, let me know. I'm glad you're here today. And just step away. When you walk in the auditorium here, if uh, if you see a family come in, a lot of times they're looking around trying to trying to see where where they can sit. And if you notice a family, and by just moving over a couple seats, you could create a space for them. You can offer it again. Don't force them, but you can offer to say, "No, oh, here here, let me scoot down." Again, it's about hospitality. Um, you know, making that offer to people. Don't knock people over trying to get to your seat. And when someone sits down next to you, all right, I know how this goes. Because I, I find myself at movies. I'll be sitting at the movie, and you, you know, the person walks in, and they spot the seat next to you. And in my head, I'm going, no, 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 no. <laughs> 
You can think that, but smile the whole time. I'd also ask, if you're able, um, park on the extremities of the parking lot. Consider it exercise for the day, all right? But, again, it's about hospitality. Be intuitive, reach out, be gracious, and meet people where they are. That's huge. Just meet people where they are. Just love people where they are. Why? It's back to the invitation. It's all about the relationship with God. And friends, every time I step up here, every morning when I come in and usually one of the first in the building, I think about all the opportunities God's going to give us this morning. And I think about the, the eternal implications of Today may be the day someone says, you know what? I want to give my life to Christ. And I also equally understand that they may go, man, I'm never going to church again. That was so bad. A lot of weight. But again, if we keep the invitation central, we'll be the kind of people God wants us to be. We'll bring our A game. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God, God, we praise you. God, we thank you. We thank you for your unbelievable love. That grace that knows no bound. God, I don't know why you've been so merciful, having so much mercy with us and grace, but God, we just praise you for that. God, I pray that this church, the Faith Fellowship, that when people talk about us, that say that's a place of grace. It's a place where people just love you where you're at. God, strengthen us. Give us wisdom. When we fail, Lord, just pick us up and point us the right way. We look forward to all the opportunities you place before us. God, I pray that when we lay it down at the end of this life, that we'd hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We praise you. We thank you for this day.